Good morning, and it might not be morning where you are, but it's morning here. So, g'day, and welcome to my very first episode of my brand new podcast, C is for Cancer. No prizes for guessing what the subject matter is going to be about. All right, let's get into it. So, who am I and why am I doing this podcast? Very simple. My name's Troy Holmes. I'm a 49-year-old father, husband, son, brother, all that stuff. Uncle, everything. Anyway, I was diagnosed with cancer on the 5th of August in 2021. And I want to document my experiences, my journey. I haven't come across anybody who's had a similar path to me. People have been telling me I should write a book, but writing is not my thing. Talking is. So I thought a better way to get my story out there would maybe to do a podcast. So here we are. So welcome. If you're listening to this, I'm extremely grateful. I don't have any expectations that many people will be listening to this and maybe one day it'll help people. But look, if I can help one person out there with their cancer journey, then job done. That's pretty much the the high bar that I'm setting myself. One person. If it's more than that, fucking amazing. So a little bit about myself. As I said, I'm 49. Look, I'm just a normal guy. I grew up in Melbourne. I moved around a fair bit with kids, with dad's work. So I lived in Perth, back to Melbourne, moved to Sydney, and I've spent the predominantly majority of my time here in Sydney. I lived a pretty normal life, played football, run around like lots of sport as a kid. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. But I've had, as far as my health goes, an interesting history. I developed a disease, a very rare disease when I was six. Wasn't deadly, wasn't harmful, it was just rare which resulted in about a six-day stay in hospital. I had to have free blood tests a day. I developed a deep-seated hatred for getting blood tests. In fact, it would take up to six nurses and doctors to hold me down at a time. It's just amazing the human body, what it can do. Like a six-year-old had to be held down by six to eight adults just to extract some blood. And this was the 70s and 80s, guys, so there was no pretty or niceness about it. It was they had a job to do and they just got in and did the job. They weren't worried about people's mental health. They weren't worried about scarring children for life. It was just fucking hold me down, draw the blood out of me. Anyway, I was all fixed and cured. And other than that, I suffered migraines my whole life. So I had that to deal with. Now, the reason I'm going to go through all of this, because this episode's called C for Confidence. And it's the confidence that I had my ability to beat cancer and when I was diagnosed with it. And, but I want to give you the backstory so that you get a clear understanding of where the confidence or how the confidence came about, because it surprised and shocked me. And I'll, I'll step you through it. Moving on with life, obviously, like a lot of people, I once turning 18, I started going out and partying and that resulted in me end up experimenting with recreational drugs and I've done them all bar heroin. And that was a small part of my life for a very short period of time. Moved on to getting married, having children. Now, my attitude to health was pretty poor. I never gave it a second thought. I, you know, when I was consuming recreational drugs, I was like, look, chemicals are great. Chemicals are fine. It was, I had an attitude of, I want a pill for every ill. 
I didn't think about side effects. I didn't think about consequences. I didn't think about the impact of what I was doing to myself and how it was affecting my body. And I think yeah, in hindsight, had I known what I know now, I certainly would have treated myself and, and other things differently. But look, that's how it was. But probably my biggest issue from a health perspective was obesity. I suffered, I didn't suffer, it was my fault. I was the victim, or not victim, actually, that's a wrong word again. Um, I was obese, let's just say that. I was floating around predominantly 140 kilos, but really peaked at 160. Not that's something to be proud of, but that's just the facts. And after yo-yo dieting for what was a good part of 12, 14 years, I just decided this enough was enough. I didn't want this anymore. I didn't feel comfortable in my body and my skin. After many attempts at lots of different things, I ended up deciding to have a gastric sleeve, which is quite an invasive operation. But look, the thing about that is, again, I, I chose to medically intervene, but I never really gave much of a thought to the, to the other stuff. And the, the problem with the way that they're selling these weight loss surgeries is that they're not addressing the mental health side of it. Like I had a doctor that took me through the medical side of it. I had a nutrition who, a nutritionist who took me through the nutrition side of it, but I never had a psychologist who was going to take me through the mental side of it because the biggest problem with people who are predominantly overweight is they're using food, which I did to, I guess, quell or appease their emotions. So they become emotional eaters. I was, for me, I didn't feel successful in my life. I didn't feel successful in work and other things. And I desperately seeked that success. And if I was good at something, it was eating. And I ate a lot because I wouldn't have got that fat if I didn't. But I did lose a lot of weight, but, but I did put it back on, see? So this is the problem because I never addressed my personal relationship with food, which I've now done, but I hadn't at the time. So I got, I, I went down to 104 kilos, back up to about 120 and I floated around that for ages and I was going to the gym. I was again, still really trying to get myself down to under hundred kilos and get rid of this weight. And now I couldn't have another operation. It was done. Like once you have the one operation, that's it. You, you either, you're either successful at that or you move on. So anyway, then a series of circumstances of, of events happened in 2017 that is significant in my health journey and, and, and I want to talk about it because it. Again, it comes back to where I get my confidence from. By a random set of circumstances, like in 2017, my, my wife wanted to go on a retreat. So I sent her to this retreat. It was run by Seventh-day Adventists. And she came back and said, look, I don't want to eat animals anymore. I watched Forks Over Knives and I don't want to eat animals anymore. I don't want to cause harm or injury to any living creatures. And I said, yeah, sure. No worries. Like I had no problem with that. And I said, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to jump on board. I'm going to join you. I'll go plant-based as well, just to support you for a month or so. That was my plan. Now, at the time, I'd been vegetarian a couple of times during my life, but I'd always gone back to meat. And when I was vegetarian, I still had uh, dairy and eggs. I'd heard about vegans, right? But pretty much the only thing you hear on the news about vegans, this is back in 2017, was things like storming restaurants and, and other things. So I'm thinking they're just some crazy militant vegetarians. I actually had no idea what a vegan was. But I also had a belief in my mind, you know, at, uh, that if I'd ever looked behind the curtain of an abattoir, I had a feeling and a sense that I would probably never eat meat again. So I deliberately avoided 
looking behind the curtain of an abattoir. Again, this is this, this is this desired ignorance, I guess you could call it, where you deliberately don't learn about something because you don't, you feel that the outcome or the knowledge will change your behavior and you don't necessarily want to change your behavior at the time. I deliberately didn't look behind it, but look, once I opened my heart and I opened my mind and I was open-minded to what veganism was and what it was about, I suddenly realized really quickly, oh shit, that's me. I've been vegan my whole life. And this podcast isn't about trying to convince people to go vegan and it's not to talk, you know, we'll talk a little bit about plant-based diet and the impact it has on your health, but it's not about that. So don't tune out for that reason. It's just my journey and what I, where I'm at in my life and what was right for me. And then I quit smoking because it's the dumbest fucking thing you can ever do in the world. I was only a casual smoker anyway, but by the time I quit, they were now like $2 each. I was having like two or three a night. But I just stood there once and I'm like, this has got to be the dumbest fucking thing you could do to a human, a human being could do to themselves. And again, when we talk about health, when we talk about life and, and, and this sort of stuff, and particularly when we're talking about cancer, you know, we know that smoking causes cancer, but we still do it. Like they banned summer beds in New South Wales because the UV light causes cancer. Well, gets back a lot. The smoking does too, and it's still legal. It's like when you first experience smoke into your lungs, your body rejects it, but we train ourselves. And again, this is this, this is this desired ignorance where we just refuse to acknowledge what the dangers and the health risks are. And go, oh, you know what? Fucking doesn't matter because my grandfather, he smoked his whole life. Ah, oh, fucking I'm fine. That's the attitude we have. And it's the wrong attitude because we should respect our health respect our body and, and what's good for us. But anyway, then at the end of the year, I quit, I quit drinking. I quit alcohol completely. So during that time from May when I went vegan to December, when I quit alcohol, I started watching a lot of documentaries and videos and reading some stuff about plant-based diet and impact on your health. And I'd watched fat, sick and nearly dead and decided that I should go on a seven day juice challenge. So here we go. Friday was day one. This meant no alcohol. Now, I had never actually liked alcohol. Like when I was a teenager, we started going out drinking. I actually never really liked it. I preferred smoking marijuana. The, the, the feeling of being stoned was always a more pleasant and desirable feeling for me than the feeling of being drunk. But again, you're trying to fit into society. You... You train yourself to drink because that's the norm. You've got to be an Aussie bloke. You've got to eat meat. You've got to drink beer. That's the fucking way it works. The thing was the alcohol was at this point in time, I was using the alcohol really poorly. So I was running my own business. I was working 16 hour days, six days a week. Now to me at the time, working long hours and working many days was a badge of honor. I was, that was how I perceived myself at crushing it, at beating life, at, at winning, at success. It was just hard. And how I would cope with the stress and the drama and everything else was to come home and just drink alcohol until I fell asleep. It was a really poor habit. I would wake up at five in the morning. I would go to the gym. I would do all that stuff, all that, like, I'm going to be fit and healthy stuff. 
and then come home from work at seven, eight o'clock at night and consume two or three bottles of alcohol and literally just drink until I fell asleep. That was my coping mechanism. Very, very poor. And in a highlighted one day when I was driving home and I was working till seven, eight o'clock at night every night. And this one particular day, for whatever reason, I'm not really sure. But anyway, I was leaving the office at 5.15. This is like a fucking rarity for me. Anyway, for, so I had, I was like, I had nothing to do at work. I had no reason to be in the office. I thought I'll go home early. Now, originally you're thinking you'll go home early and spend some time with the family, but I'm driving home and on the way home, a thought popped into my head and that was, I can't wait for that first glass of wine. And it was shitty wine. Like I was drinking cheap, shitty wine. And I thought, oh fuck, that's not a good thought. You shouldn't be having that thought. So I quit drinking, but I went on with the juice challenge and I finished the juice challenge. I didn't exclusively the entire week. I ended up eating uh, raw fruit and vegetable along with the juicing. But at the end of that, I'd pretty much, I quit coffee, although I do have coffee uh, every two or three days and I quit drinking, but the drinking, the part was significant. And then it took probably four to six months, but I started to feel some really positive health effects. And then I've gone on and, and now again, I'm starting to feel really good from a plant-based diet. I'm suddenly I'm recovering better from my exercise. I'm not feeling as lethargic. There are other things that are going on and I'm thinking this is great. So I go and do a, a raw vegan challenge. I ate raw food for 21 days. And at the end of that, I, I had so much energy. It was incredible. So I'm starting to feel what the physical impacts of my body can be by choosing a, a plant-based diet. But I'm feeling incredible, like I'm going, okay, so what we put in our mouth has an effect on our body, how we feel and everything about us. And 2020 comes along and I'm feeling incredible. And then I get a, a problem, right? I, now I've, I've just laid out there. So suffered migraines my whole life. The moment I quit dairy, the migraines stopped. So from 2017 to 2020, I haven't had a headache. I haven't gotten the flu. I haven't been sick. I haven't gotten the cold. People around me have been sick and I haven't got anything. We're coming into 2020. There's all this talk about this disease, you know, this COVID out of China, but it hadn't really hit us yet. And I get this little bump in my neck, which blows up to half a grapefruit within a couple of hours. And suddenly I'm in excruciating pain. I live 400 meters from the hospital. So I walk to the hospital, hospital's packed not staying there all night or go home. I go back at four in the morning. It's still packed, but I'm like, all right, now I'll go. The doctors have no idea what's wrong with me. I say, well, you're going to have to go and see a specialist. So I go up to my doctor, I get an appointment with it and with an ENT and within two days, and, and this is, you know, two days of excruciating pain and just lying on the couch with painkillers. The ENT says you've got a branchial cleft cyst. He just diagnosed us straight away, but he was really confident. And I didn't even question it for one second. I'm like, I'm a specialist. This guy knows what he's doing. It's a branchial cleft cyst. He's telling me about this thing. It's supposedly a birth defect and it happens at this time in your life. Okay, fine. No worries. I had it biopsied, pulled out a little bit of thing. He rings me the next day and says, Troy, you got to get to the hospital. I'm like, well, I can't, mate. I got work and stuff. He goes, no, you got to get there soon. So I'm like, okay, fuck. So we go to hospital and we find out this thing, uh, this infection I have in this cyst is resistant to penicillin, but eventually we fix it. And he says to me, it's, and this is where it, some of the significance comes from. So he says to me, I oh, looked, 
this thing will come back. You'll get this bronchial colostomy again. But it, once it comes back, the third I'm we can't remove it. So when it comes back, we need to remove it. Okay, fine. He books me in for elective surgery. But then COVID happened. So fucking the chances of electric surgery just completely out the window. No chance at all. And that's fine. I'm going along and I get a phone call in February. Can you be at the hospital tomorrow? There's a spot opened up for surgery. Okay, fuck you, I'll go. Now, this is, I want to just touch on this here. So I go in the hospital the next day. I'm, I'm lying there. I'm ready for surgery, all prepped. My ENT walks in. He's the surgeon. And he says this, what are we here to do today? Now, firstly, I'm like, what the fuck? I'm lying on a bed naked, ready for surgery to cut me open. You don't know what we're doing here today. Now, I know I was booked in last minute, but seriously, like I'm your patient for starters. So I run him through one there. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And then he looks at the scans and he goes, we can't tell where your cyst is. We have no idea where this branchial cleft cyst is. It's gone or your neck's pretty clear. He goes, if we open you up, we're just going to be taking out random bits of flesh. And we don't recommend taking out random bits of flesh. We don't think it's a good idea. Okay, fine. So I've got to go home. A couple of months later, I get a little lump, like about the size of a grape under my chin. And I'm like, okay, this is the lump I had last time, but it's not infected this time. It's just a lump. So I go and book straight in to see my ENT, go and see him. And he says, okay, yep, it's the bronchial cleft cyst at the back. You know, we'll, we'll book you in for surgery, but this time let's go private. That way we can control it. Okay, fine. So he books me in for private health. So I go to have surgery. Now, in regards to the medical side of things, I didn't question for one second his diagnosis. I never said what else could it be. I never asked, are there any other possibilities? So the onus is on me, right? I never, I just handed my medical life and responsibility over to somebody else. And that turned out to be a bad thing to do. I'll tell you why. But first, so I've gone through this couple of years of feeling amazing and extremely healthy. It's 2021 now. I've watched a heap of documentaries. I've been right into raw food. I've been really gearing up on the raw, raw food. I've watched a documentary called Rock and Cure. It featured Janet Murray Walton, who's an Australian lady who essentially cured her cancer with a raw vegan diet. She ran 366 marathons in 366 days with her husband on a raw vegan diet just to prove that you can do anything on a raw vegan diet. All right, that's pretty amazing. They were in their 60s and they ran 366 consecutive marathons. That is fucking unbelievable. And this woman is not even featured in the main media. Like, why is she not? there with the fucking greats of the of the world. She cured a cancer with a raw vegan diet and she did 366 marathons in 66 days. And that's fucking amazing. And a lot of people don't even know about. But when I was watching all of these documentaries and I'm listening and I'm reading these things and I'm, I'm online watching other stuff, right? What's becoming clear to me, I'm hearing this message, cancer can't live in a fully alkaline human body. Cancer can't live in a fully alkaline human body. Cancer can't live in a fully alkaline human body. And whilst I am not experiencing, I haven't had a lot of experience with cancer with people in my life. I certainly, nobody really close to me 
my auntie passed away from lung cancer, but at the time I was living in Sydney, she was living in Melbourne. I was about 23. I was living my life. I, I just wasn't around it. I never experienced, I never saw it. I never, I, I didn't really have a grasp on what she went through. I had a client who was given three months to live eight years ago, and he's still alive today. I'm going to talk about Bluey throughout the podcast, but I had this thing in my head where I was starting to feel fairly convinced that a whole food plant-based diet, right? Now it's important that we understand the distinction between a whole plant-based diet and a vegan diet. Vegan diet is just about not hurting animals, but a vegan diet is going to be processed food. You can have vegan burgers, you can have vegan hot chips, you can have vegan ice cream, you can have vegan chocolate, you can have vegan fucking everything that's shit and bad for you. So it's not about a vegan diet, right? It's about a whole plant-based now that's utilizing a variety of plants and, and making sure you get a balanced variety of those plants. And this is whole food. So this is getting it from the ground. The, the trick is you want to have the least amount of steps between coming out of the ground and getting into your mouth. So if it's literally just picking, packing it, and cooking it, that's exactly what you want. So the more step goes through, the more sense of human hand that touches, the more diminished the value of that food is. And I'm starting to feel convinced because I've got other people I know of or whatever that, and I, and I really want to go out there and start telling everybody you need to be on a plant-based diet, but you sound like a fucking idiot, right? You, and you, and you sound like you're pushing veganism down people's throat and you're not because it's, again, it's not about veganism. Veganism is again, you're going to be vegan. You're not going to buy leather. You're not going to do all that. If you want to live a whole food plant-based diet, that's completely different. You can live a whole food plant-based diet and go out and buy leather shoes and wool jumpers and all that sort of stuff. So. There's a clear distinction between whole food plant-based and veganism and vegan diet. So I'm telling, I'm, I'm thinking to myself that I should be running around telling people they need to be on a whole diet because a whole plant-based diet is going to help you if you've got Korean disease, it's going to help you if you've got lots of things. So I've got this knowledge and now here I am. I eventually have this surgery through the private hospital. I go for my follow-up with my doctor and he's going through looking at my scar. Now again, I never ask questions about the surgery. So I thought I'd have this tiny little scar. They just cut this little thing out, but it's not, it's like this 10 centimeter, this huge scar up my neck. I'm getting cramps and things from it. It's really awkward, but he's having a look. He's going, the scar looks good. The scar tissue looks all right. And, and then he turns around and he goes, oh, look, by the way, we sent your sister off for routine testing and it's come back, um, positive for cancer. But it's okay because it's P16 plus. If it was P16 minus, that wouldn't be good. But it's P16 plus, so it's fine. Now, like, for starters, I was not prepared in any way, shape, or form for a cancer diagnosis. I'm going in to my ENT to follow up from a, a surgery from a minor cyst, which is supposedly a, a congenital birth defect. Right, this is supposed to be routine. This is supposed to be just pretty standard. And he's there for even, he didn't prepare me in any way. He just literally just like, oh yeah, it's come back positive for cancer. And then he starts talking about P16 plus, P16 minus. I know what the fuck that is. Like this is the, the there's a cognitive dissonance. I, I would say that just the medical fraternity have around how they handle this, how they talk to people about this. And that didn't really bother me. And it's interesting because the moment those words came out of his mouth, you have cancer. This is where things change for me. I don't know how other people react because I've never been there when they're there and they've been given the news and I haven't really discussed it with them. 
I immediately got excited. Now, everyone's going to go, what the fuck do you mean you got excited? How can you get excited? You just got told you had cancer. How can you be excited? I was excited because I had confidence, right? Complete and total confidence in the fact that I could beat cancer. It was just immediate. It was like, I've got this. Just straight up. No drama. So I just immediately said, what's the first thing I need to do? I already knew other things I needed to do, but I needed to know what his opinion of the first thing I needed to do was. As far as I was concerned, the first thing I needed to do was really tighten up my diet, get super on the whole food plant-based side of things. I knew that I had to go and get some THC CBD oil because Bluey, who I'm going to talk about at late at some stages, he swears by it. And he's saying he's alive today because of Rick Simpson oil. So I've already got this thing, but it, it, and, 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 and again, the clear distinction I need to make is I wasn't excited that I had cancer, not excited that I had cancer, but the fact is I had cancer. Nothing was going to change it. I moved on from that fact in an instant, like millisecond, getting upset, wasn't going to change my diagnosis, getting depressed, wasn't going to change my diagnosis. Getting sad wasn't going to change my diagnosis. I didn't think for one second, oh, let's start worrying or being concerned about why or how we got cancer. It was just like, I'm confident I'm going to beat this. So I'm excited to beat it. And I was excited because I'm thinking, wow, what an opportunity, right? I can beat cancer and tick it off and put it on my resume, Troy beat cancer. But the excitement came from the opportunity. The opportunity to beat something that is like beating cancer is like the ultimate, right? It's like the, the one thing that like everyone wants, if you've got it, you want to be putting it on your resume. Nobody wants to be putting it on their resume if you don't have to get it. But if you've got it, you're putting it on your resume. So I was just immediately, this is great because the other thing I'm thinking, right? At this point in time, I'm 47 years old. I have a wife, my children are 19 and 21. My 21 year old daughter's pregnant and we're expecting our first grandchild. And so I'm thinking in my head, legacy, I beat cancer. I can show my 19 and 21 year old children what you can do when you put your mind to it. At that young age, they can watch me beat it and experience me, put my mind to something and beat it. And that's a life lesson that's going to be valuable for them. If anybody in, in, in my descendants is ever going to get cancer in the future, they can go, you know what? Troy beat it. Whether it's uncle Troy beat it, whether it's grandpa Troy beat it, whether it's great grandpa Troy beat it, whether it's great, great, great grandpa Troy beat it. It doesn't matter. I can now create a legacy for my family and my descendants to show them that you can beat this thing and it is beatable. And I had extreme confidence that I was beating it and I, and I, I am beating it. And I, that confidence has been up and we're going to talk about that the whole way, but it's just like, I know it sounds crazy and I know, and I'm not making this up. I was literally excited at possibility of beating cancer because that was what my next goal was. There was no point in, in, in getting upset, concerned or fear. Those things aren't going to help you. They weren't going to help me. 
I went home and told the family and look, my kids were great. They were like, yep, we trust your dad. You say you've got it, you've got it. So they felt that confidence that I had, that I was beating this thing. And my wife was naturally upset, but it didn't take long for her to hear me talk about how I'm going to beat it and, and, and how achievable this was. Now, the fact is my particular type of cancer is only stage one. Yeah, maybe because it's only stage one that I had a little bit of confidence. My particular type of cancer is essentially a skin cancer on my tongue. And a lot of people can beat skin cancers. Perhaps those factors had a lot to do with my confidence and maybe they did. Maybe it's not just my attitude. If I was told you've got pancreatic cancer and three weeks to live, maybe my attitude would have been slightly different. But I wasn't. And so I don't know how that would be and how I would react to that. But this was the situation. I was told I had cancer. Either way, at the end of the day, cancer is still going to kill you if you do nothing about it or if you allow it to proliferate and grow and come to the size of it, parts of your body. But there was just this extreme confidence. And it came from my experiences of diamond life and life, how those had impacted my health. It came from my experience of not being sick for three and a half years or four years or whatever it was at that point in time. It came from a confidence of knowing that other people, the fact that I never had cancer with a raw vegan diet or other ways than done it. I knew it was beatable. I knew I had Bluey. I knew he'd beaten it. Certainly to the point that he was where he was at the time and he was beating it and it was possible. So I just had complete confidence in my ability to beat cancer. And that's where it came from. That's the beginning of my story. That is the nutshell of C is for confidence, which is the title of this particular episode. If you're listening at this point in time, I want to thank you so very much for hearing me out and hearing my story. And I hope that there's enough of that story left that you want to find out more about where I go to and what happens from here, because it's not a conventional path and it's a path that I wouldn't necessarily encourage everybody to take because I don't encourage people to do what I do. I encourage people to learn what I've learned. And I'm going to talk more about that as we go along, but this was episode one of C is for cancer. This was the episode C is for confidence. I'm Troy Holmes, your host. This is me signing off for the first time and hopefully you'll be back for episode two and we'll talk soon. I have no plan, so I don't know if this is going to be every month, every week or whatever it's going to be, but it's going to be. And uh, more episodes are coming soon and I hope that you're going to get something out of them. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you next time.